Hi, welcome to Death and Desserts, where we discuss the dark and disturbing and beautiful elements of death whilst eating dessert. I'm Zarya. I'm Sana. And today we're discussing Egyptian death gods. And today's dessert is baklava from the Lebanese restaurant Gypsy Queen Cuisine in Asheville. If you'd like to see what we're eating, check out our Instagram at Death and Desserts Podcast, where we have also tagged the restaurant. I have a death trivia that you are absolutely going to love. I've been waiting for this. What is it? Spring it on me. <laughs> so, you know how ancient Egyptians love cats. Like, almost as much as you do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, well, they are so venerated that when they die, they're mummified. And the owner of the cat shaves their eyebrows when they go in mourning for their dead pet. And they stay in mourning until their eyebrows grow back. Wow. Right? That's commitment. <laughs> You're like, hmm, I need to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, first of all, I was just trying to check out if my cat is in hearing, like if she expects me to shave my eyebrows. I'm like, don't get any ideas. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I don't want her to realize that her her species was worshipped as their own little... I think she knows. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And also... Anyone that kills a cat, even accidentally, is put to death. Really? Yep. I can get behind that. Right? <laughs> um, and that is all I have for our Egyptian death trivia. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. So, the baklava. <laughs> the baklava. Uh, this is your first time having baklava. That's so exciting. This is. Um, I was very... Not apprehensive. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, you could tell that it's flaky and crusty and it looks pretty. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but it tastes just as good as it looks. I love this baklava. I'm trying and to I eat was... it very slow mm. so that I am Saber. not without it. Yeah, exactly. Because when it's gone, well, we'll just have to make another trip. <laughs> yeah, it was worth the trip. And the baby got a good nap on the way to Asheville. But I've had baklava before, and this is by far my favorite. I've had it from the grocery store, and I've had it at restaurants that I assume bought it from a grocery store. Like, I, I don't think that it was, like, authentic baklava. Mm -hmm. But while I was in Gypsy Queen, I was looking around, and the place is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And it's owned by, owned by a Lebanese woman. And there are photos of whom I'm assuming is her mother. She was kind of busy with the phone, so I didn't, like, ask. But there are photos of her mom just above uh, where the register and stuff is. And, uh, you know, in her traditional clothing and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so, I mean, everything is traditional. Everything is made fresh right there. And... I was watching them cook and it was crazy awesome. <laughs> and and she even had uh, the special today was Lebanese poutine. I was tempted, but I had to have my fried cauliflower. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I thought of Bay. I was like, oh man, Bay would totally love some Lebanese poutine. But yeah, the place was great. Um, the food is amazing and this baklava is amazing with it has pistachios in it as opposed to usually I've, I've had it with almonds and I can taste the honey and I can taste all the spices and this crust is just great flaky layers of Lebanese heaven 
<laughs> and that is at Gypsy Queen Cuisine on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just at a quick peek, I can definitely see a billion things I want to eat there. Mm. That's cool. And I really appreciate their portion sizes, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> so our main topic today is the Egyptian gods of death. Mainly, for the most part, we're going to stick to four. Two of them aren't really goddesses. I mean, they aren't typical gods of death, but they're definitely So they are alive. goddesses. They're goddesses. They're but goddesses. Not necessarily of death. Right, exactly. So I feel like a good place to start would be Anubis. Okay. I don't know how familiar you are with Anubis. Not terribly. Well, for our listeners, Anubis along with Osiris are pretty much the principal gods of death. He was represented by either a man with a jackal's head or just a sitting dog. You've probably seen him in typical... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen the hieroglyphs. And I've seen, well, I mean, I've seen pictures of the hieroglyphs. Right. I've not seen them, seen them. And I've seen depictions in movies and stuff that I will rant about in a little bit. Right. Okay, so usually he's kind of like black in color. Um, I guess jackals aren't usually black, but that's kind of su- to signify his like putrefaction and like. So he's like really a god of like death. He's like really, really a god of death. Um, it also relates to the color black, kind of also relates to the soil of the Nile because it was so rich and, and dark. Okay. Um, so I think how he becomes a god of death really is because when the grave sites were much shallower, dogs could dig up the corpses and like drag them away and dismember people. And so they kind of needed a guardian. For that. Mm. So they chose that. another dog. Right. <laughs> also, Anubis is also said, in some myth, he is said to have been responsible for our first real mummy, who is Osiris. But also at points, Isis gets that mythology too. So we'll come back to that. In history, he kind of fades out a little bit. And eventually, a lot of his mythology is absorbed into the Osiris mythology. Mm. So there's a lot of overlap there. So what could have been a story about Osiris, or Anubis is now a story about Osiris, potentially. Right, exactly. Um, Some of the time, more and more of his characteristics and mythology became about Osiris, and then all that we really associated with Anubis was, like, the mummy thing, like, being responsible for resurrecting Osiris or helping. So when we were researching Anubis, did you find any um, modern cultural references to him? I did. Um, Some of them made absolutely no sense to me, and some of them were actually pretty offensive, which figures. Um, Luckily, you know, he's an ancient Egyptian god and not current because right. oh my god that would be really bad so one thing i want to say especially about anubis is that he is often depicted as an evil god just because he's a god of the dead and almost always has an army of the dead that needs to be dealt with or vanquished or something because he's being power hungry or whatever i feel like this is a western invention of him I, I don't think that traditionally that's how they felt about him way back in ancient times. And the one depiction of Anubis that is an exception to that is his appearance in the book and TV series American Gods, where he is depicted as just shepherding people through their death to wherever they end up. He's shown... I didn't read the whole book. Right. (laughs) 
But in the show, he is shown weighing hearts against a feather doing that right. whole deal. And he didn't come off as evil. He came off as particularly irritated with Laura Moon, which who isn't? Right. <laughs> but I, I think it was probably the best depiction I've ever seen of him in at least Western right. media. That tracks because I never finished the show. You know this. I only watched it with you a yeah. couple times. But um, in Osiris mythology, when Anubis crops back up, that is his primary function, is helping get you to the you know tribunal of the judges. Okay, yeah. Wearing the heart, all of that, that whole ritual. But that's like his last current function, you know? Mm. So at okay. least that seems like it actually ties into yeah, right? the mythology. It's not just... <laughs> oh, what, Neil Gaiman did his homework, you mean? Right. <laughs> you don't say. He if only everyone researched. could. I know, right? If only everyone could. No, they can. They just don't. Don't. <laughs> right. Um, I also want to say that he was played by Chris Obi or Chris Obi. I'm not really sure how to pronounce his last name. And the man is a total smoke show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. For our next set of gods and goddesses, um, I feel like I need to talk about them together since they were, in fact, married. So Isis and Osiris, along with Nephthys and the original Horus the Elder and Set, are all, they're all siblings. So Osiris and Isis, living large, doing yeah. great. <laughs> Set gets pissed off and kills Osiris. So this is where we get our first um, glimpse into burial rituals sometimes and, like, mummification. Because Isis recovers her husband, brother's body parts, and in some myth, Anubis helps resurrect him and put him back together. And in some myths, she just resurrects him with her magic, with her sister, Nephthys. Osiris is pretty much one of our most important deities in ancient Egypt. Uh, initially, he was primarily regarded as, like, the god of fertility and agriculture, like, overseeing crops. Mm. And then he kind of fades into becoming more cosmic. So, mythology-wise, when he is resurrected for one night and impregnates his sister-wife, after that, he sort of... Uh, so he was only resurrected for one night? What happens is he is resurrected, but then he goes in front of the, like, judges or whatever, and he is then appointed the god of death. You know, he's the guardian. He's the... Okay, so he ascends, basically. Yeah. At that point, he becomes the divine judge over the dead. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. And this is also where he starts to absorb mythology that had previously belong to Anubis. Okay, so uh, also according to some periods of myth, our jackal god Anubis is responsible for our first mummy, Osiris, but in other times, in in different periods of the myth, Anubis is the son of Nephthys and Osiris. Is that why Set killed him? Because I feel like that would be a good reason. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, maybe... I you know, Osiris is like the firstborn, so I think the order goes Osiris, Isis, Set, Nephthys, and then Horus the Elder. So maybe it was just typical little brother shit, like... Right. Because Set is not always the 
evil shithead god. Like, at different points, he was, like, not a villain. And then he gets villainized at some point, and, but without that... It sounds that, like they all kind of get villainized at some point. <laughs> that's true. So now we kind of have our late bloomer to the Egyptian pantheon, which is Isis. She was, like, the second born in the, in the group, and before the fifth dynasty, we don't have a lot of references to her. Like, she had no temples, she had no references... She kind of grew out of obscurity to become, like, one of the biggest... Right, in my opinion, she's one of the most recognizable. And she still is. I mean, her influence, Mm -hmm. because of Alexander the Great and people like him, her influence spread to Britain, it spread to everywhere. You know, there's still pagans now that recognize her and worship her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's that way with any of the other pantheon. So... I did find a very unfortunate depiction of Isis in a television show called Charmed. Mm. I did not watch the episode. I've probably seen it and erased it from my memory, maybe. But luckily there's fan wikis. (laughs) So I didn't have to torture myself with this. And I could just read it. Apparently Isis... And her backstory for the TV show was a witch in ancient Egypt. And for reasons I don't recall reading or whatever, she, her spirit ends up possessing Phoebe. And the whole thing is just fucking ridiculous. I mean, I love Charmed, but this is cultural appropriation and it's offensive as hell. <laughs> and, and it's one of those situations where they didn't do their research and they they bent and molded an actual being that had been actually worshipped. Okay, not an actual being, but a being that had actually been worshipped at some point in history and just twisting it into nonsense to fit their story. That's interesting. I wonder, because, you know, Isis was like the quintessential mother and wife. You know, she pieced her husband back together. She's literally regarded as the mother of all kings. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, a lot of these backlashes in culture, I wonder how they're connected to historically. Like, she was a very big... Like, if you're comparing religions, she would have been the biggest opponent against Christianity as it was growing in the early Christianity. Hmm. Um, You also think about how a lot of her iconography iconography was borrowed by Christianity. Like, the Virgin Mary holding a dead Jesus is very much like her holding Osiris. Osiris. Um, Her nursing Horus is where we get the Virgin Mary nursing baby Jesus. And so she's like the ultimate... So, So, I mean, I know that Christianity is a lot of plagiarism, but they were literally like the painters, the people, the artists depicting Christianity were just like ripping off old art. Like, I wonder how they would have seen it. I don't know, but there's a lot of overlap with Horus and Jesus as it is, like oh, their yeah. birthdays and whatnot. For so, real. like, I wonder if she gets this kind of cosmic backlash because, you know, the patriarchy, bro. Right. I mean, for a show that, you know, upholds women and whatnot, I feel like Charmed is still very much made by the patriarchy. I'm not going to go off on that tangent right now, right. but it was very poorly done, in my opinion. I mean, first of all, the the goal of making Isis like a mortal being or whatever, like just a witch, just a human. What? No, no, that's, mm-mm. 
the audacity now. <laughs> Along with Asus, we also have her sister, Nephthys. Nephthys was possibly the, well, she was the sister of Isis and Osiris, but she was also the sister of her husband, Set, who later kills Osiris. Isis and Nephthys are sort of like both protectors of the dead. So they may not be gods of dead, but they're definitely protectors. So they would put Isis and Nephthys in like the burial tombs on opposite walls. Like one would guard the head, one would guard the feet. Oh, cool. I think Isis was on the south end and Nephthys was usually pictured or posted at the head of the tombstone. Or the royal sarcophagi. <laughs> Also, at some point, like, the mummy wrappings that they would put on the bodies were sort of reference to her hair. Her hair... How did her hair become mummy wrappings? Well, and, like, a deceased king would have to, to, in order to get into the afterlife, because when you mummify a body, much of that is helping you find your way to the afterlife. You know, if you don't have your body properly preserved and it decays too quick etc then your uh divine spark won't find your body again blah blah blah. you won't find the afterlife it's the same reason they you know mummified and preserved the body so well it's the same reason they would put food and riches and stuff in the tombs to like help you get there so a lot of that sort of like her hair the deceased kings especially would like have to unwrap themselves to get to the next stage so all that time wrapping and then they have to, like, unravel it all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole... I mean, it's a whole thing. I didn't find a lot on Nephthys individually when I was looking in visual medias. She... If, if there's a large grouping of Egyptian gods in uh, movies or books or TV, she's usually also mentioned along with them. But, like, individualistically, she's not often used especially not as often as isis because her sister everybody loves isis isis <laughs> isis isis <laughs> i didn't find a lot on nephthys or anubis for that matter like i found more of them and like raw than any of the other gods well i guess when you have a pantheon that's like three thousand plus mm. gods people are going to get lost there were there's a lot Of Egyptian gods. (laughs) There really are. And we talked about this a little bit, but like when one cult would take over an area and a place of worship, those gods typically kind of absorbed the characteristics of the god they were taking the worship place over. Huh. So some characteristics you see happen over and over again. And then you kind of see historically this getting, I think, explained in a way where it tries to take account for name changes and, like, gods merging or being forgotten or whatever, you know. I mean, that happens with every culture, especially, like, the Greeks and Romans, man. They just, now that is some plagiarism. (laughs) The Romans were like, we're just going to change the names. They're literally exactly the same. It's crazy. I can't wait to do those gods. Man, there's just gods and beings and harbingers of death like all over the world and I can't wait to explore all of them. (laughs) I also wanted to briefly touch on how the concept of Osiris kind of changed some of their burial practices because I think that's interesting. So not everyone had access to be able to have their own copy of the Book of the Dead which had never been like 
put all in one book. It was hundreds of spells, and it could change depending on, just like every other historical book or whatever. But for a long time, royalty had access to stuff that the normal citizens wouldn't have had, you know, poorer people. And so once Osiris becomes a god and the like culture around that started to shift a little bit where everybody finally would face their day of judgment in front of the judges and that had happened before like if you were getting buried and you were just if you were just a commoner you might get assistance get the right rituals and the right foods and stuff to like guide you into the afterlife but it wasn't as guaranteed you know, when Osiris becomes the divine judge over the dead, everybody, common or royal, will all meet the judge finally. It kind of made it not more fair, but it just changed how they regarded it. So so the, the peasants could also... Like, were they also mummified and stuff like that? Yes. I was always under the impression that mummification was set aside for, like, royalty and priests and stuff like that, like... As far as I know, it was like a 70-day process for everyone. 70 days? 70 days from death to burial. You know, because they had to get all the checks and balances perfect to ensure that their Ka and Ba were going to find their body again. Which, for our listeners, if you don't know what Ka and Ba is, those are two of the five distinct parts that make up a person. So you would have your physical body, your Ka, your Ba, and your shadow and your name. And so your Ka and your Ba are like pretty much maybe how you would consider personality and not just soul alone, but like personality, divine spark, whatever. And those two things, if they don't return to your body, if you're not feeding them in the sarcophagi, if you are if you don't have the spells, the rituals, your body perfectly preserved, then your calm, your body won't come back to your body. It won't recognize you. So if you're decaying quicker and your calm, your body, pass you because they can't see your body and they can't recognize you, then you don't get to go to the afterlife. Oh, well, shit. (laughs) Right? So what happens then? So then you have no immortal life. You just straight up, it's it's like a final death. Oh, okay. So like oblivion. Right. Okay. But if you're calling your body, reunite with your body, because one of them, I'm not sure which one, comes back to your body every night to feed. If they come back to you and everything is as it's supposed to be, that's when you go to your day of judgment in front of the judge. Judges, there's like 40-some that you have to pass the test for. You mentioned the feather and the heart scale. That's a real thing. So that was finally accessible to commoners and royalty alike, and you went, um, everybody by their own merit would meet Osiris and either become an Osiris themselves, not like him physically, but an Osiris, or they'd get fed to the devourer. (laughs) The devourer! Oh my goodness. That yeah, that sounds like a well it sounds like a heavy metal band. Yeah. <laughs> but it could also be like a horror movie monster or something. Um okay, so there's Osiris the god and then there's Osiris almost like a different race, like you become kind of like you know how some people are under the impression that when you die, you become an angel. <laughs> Even yeah. though in the Bible, it straight up says angels were never human. So you're saying when you become an Osiris, you basically become an Egyptian angel. Kind of. It, it just... Or the closest... It, yeah. It's hard to wrap your brain around, but essentially, you would then gain your immortal life. You would have victory over death. Okay. Whereas if the devourer gets you because you're found lacking or whatever, there's nothing. You just <clears throat> devour 
Sorry. <laughs> then that's just the end. Okay. So, which do you think? Feather? Would How How would you? How would your heart weigh? <sighs> that's a tough one. I think that a lot of people would be surprised how close they would be to the feather. Like, everyone thinks that their, their heart's going to sink. Everyone thinks that. Well... And, you know, there's probably some people out there that are, like, super self-righteous. And they're the ones whose hearts will sink quick. But um, I think that feather is actually heavier than people would give it credit for. I mean, human beings are who they are. So they've got to be taking that into account. And I would think that my heart would be fairly close to the feather. <laughs> I don't know, you know, like, I mean, it's not going to, like, ka-chunk, <laughs> but it, there might be, you know, a little unevenness. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think that because I'm a Libra, I've got some kind of, like, cosmic balance, <laughs> and I'll have it worked out by the time there we get to the, the feather and the and the scale thing, but uh, probably not. I mean, did you get the devour? Devour. I don't, it might be cool to meet the devourer. I mean, I, I am not really hip with the idea of an afterlife. I don't want to do it. So, <laughs> I if I could, like, have some kind of sentient conversation with the devourer and be like, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just misunderstood. Um, right? Like, we're Who assuming... Who wants to be the devourer? Just like with Anubis. We're just assuming because he's the devourer of souls, or it is the devourer of souls, that it's a bad thing. And... It's necessary for the balance. It, it totally is. You you have to have, you know, the gods that are, you know, gods over corn and wheat. You also have to have something to counter the sun gods. You, you can't have You have just... to have putrefied jackals and devourers, which for some reason I am totally picturing a sarlacc pit. <laughs> and he has a name, or I say he, it has a name, but I don't remember what it is at this point. Oh, I don't know it. I'm tempted to Google it because I feel like this is a Lovecraftian thing. Okay, we paused for a second because we had to Google what the Devourer's name is, and we have been misgendering it this whole time, apparently. Her name is Amit, the Devourer, and she is not a god, just a being, and is actually considered... A force for good. A force for good, and the Devourer of Hearts. I think that's my favorite part. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad we looked that up. <laughs> and I feel like she's like a pet or a companion to Anubis. I know, I'm just like shipping <laughs> right now. <You're> shipping! <laughs> that's that's totally how I feel about Amit, the devourer of hearts. Well, you know, he was the jackal god and she is the, what was it, cow, hippo, lion Crocodile? Crocodile. It was crocodile, lion, and... Hippo. A mix of all of those. I mean, you gotta be a big girl with a lot of teeth if you're gonna eat everybody's heart. (laughs) (laughs) Valid. So, while I was looking for depictions um, in media and whatnot, there's the obvious ones like the Mummy series, Mm -hmm. um, mostly starring Brendan Fraser, which I highly recommend to everyone. It's not terribly accurate but that's really not why you're there for that movie i promise it might cause a little by panic for some folks (laughs) (laughs) confirmed Um, and there's the stargate franchise 
I've only ever seen the first movie, and that mentioned Raw, mm-hmm. but it had, like, guards or something like that with jackal heads that I was... It, it seemed like Anubis was subservient to Ra, Raw, and I thought that was strange. And... Obviously, the shows like Charmed and Supernatural throw in bits and pieces here and there. It was just as bad in Supernatural. She's just some blonde woman pretending to be a waitress or something like that. I mean, Supernatural is really good at twisting and bending folklore and cultures to their whims, and it's usually really problematic. Yeah, so Charmed and Supernatural. Um, uh, there's a few books. Rick Riordan, the guy who did the Percy Jackson series, also did the Kane Chronicles. And it's basically, from what I've read, I didn't read the books, but the reviews that I was looking at, they basically said that it's Percy Jackson rehash with other kids and it's Egyptian. That's <laughs> So he writes well, so I would check it out. I've been listening to a podcast about um, Percy Jackson and the Olympians and... It's called The Newest Olympian, and I really love that podcast, and it's making me want to read the books. And there's The Secrets of the Immortal, Nicholas Flamel. I did read those books. I thought how they portrayed the Egyptian gods was kind of weird, but again, twisting and bending to make them fit what they needed, uh, their narrative. And those books are by Michael Scott. And there's a book called Anubis Gates by Tim Powers. I didn't really look too far into that one. There's actually a lot of Egyptian-flavored fantasy books, but weren't really about Egypt. Like, they just sort of borrowed the, the vibe, I guess you could say. I did try to look for Egyptian authors and authors of color, and mostly the Egyptian authors tend, it seemed to me, to write modern things dealing with modern issues going on in Egypt right now, and that shit is important, and it's heavy, <laughs> and so I, I didn't get a lot out of that. And most of the authors of color that I found dealt with other parts of Africa that weren't Egypt. So I'm looking forward to reading them for other episodes when we talk about Loas and and Orishas and stuff like that. Like, that's going to be cool. I did find one movie that we both need to check out called The Passion of the Gods, and it is described as such on IMDb. Arthurian legend meets Egyptian mythology with all the color and passion of the rainbow flag. It is an LGBTQ plus movie, and I'm really looking forward to that. I can't even imagine Arthurian legend and Egyptian, and it's going to be cool. I'm into it. Okay. So, I hope you enjoyed your baklava. I have thoroughly enjoyed this Egyptian education. When you let me read the notes the other night, I was like, whoa, I just learned so much shit so fast. <laughs> like, I, I mean, just reading your notes was enjoyable. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to remind you, though, that there is so much murky water and so many changes throughout history of perception and, like, how it was absorbing and changing that my notes are just, you know, my understanding of maybe the most recent version, but not necessarily accurate to the whole of Egyptian history. I mean, that's fair. We're 
just podcasters. We're not, you know, scholars. We're not Egyptologists. Um, I think, you know, if there's something we missed or, you know, something we got wrong, blame Google, man. Well, blame <laughs> Google, but also, you know, when, when you're aiming for like 30 minutes to cover such a rich history, you can't do it. Right? Right. Right. I mean, there's several other gods of the dead, specifically in Egyptian myth, and we're just covering the ones that you can find information about. <laughs> Facts. So, cool. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the Egyptian gods of the dead, and we ate baklava because we would be very hard-pressed to find a traditional Egyptian dessert in Western North Carolina. <laughs> I, believe it or not, I did look, and short of making something myself from a recipe on the internet, we weren't going to, like, I think maybe one place in Asheville had Egyptian food, and it was, like, in Fletcher, <laughs> so it's a little too far, you know, um, so hence the baklava, which seems to be fairly universal in the Mediterranean area, the Middle East area, and it was delicious and worth it. Well, for our purposes, <laughs> Egypt does make a lot of baklava. It's true. So we went with modern, you know. We went with delicious, delicious baklava. I don't regret this at all. <laughs> it's so good. So, Saria, where can people find us? Um, you can find us on Instagram at Death and Desserts Podcast and on Twitter at Death underscore Desserts. And we're on Facebook. You can check out our website where we post show notes every week. And the link for that site is in our Instagram bio. Tune in for next week when we have our very first interview to do. My sister-in-law, Trisha, will be guesting with us. I'm very excited, a little nervous, and we will likely be eating pie from one of her favorite restaurants or bakeries. We will see you next week, and remember, life is short, have dessert.